Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Well, I am beyond intrigued and curious about today's topic. Have you ever had difficulty trying to explain why you feel a certain way? Unexplained sadness, depression, self-destructive behavior, you're in failed relationships, you're dealing with chronic illness. Some of this could be indicators for inherited family trauma. Joanna Lynn has 20 years experience in resolving inherited family patterns and is the founder of the Family Imprint Institute with an international private practice. A former clinical hypnotherapist, she is incredibly excited about her work now in epigenetics. Just that word right there kind of goes, what on earth are we going to be talking about today? So I am so excited to be diving into this topic and to really understanding how our brain is able to process things and what is actually inherent in terms of our family patterns. So welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And of course, for more information, you can always head to extensionmarketing.com. Thank you so much for all of your support, your shares, your likes, your subscriptions. It's been wonderful to see the podcast continue to grow. But it's growing because we have really interesting guests and very interesting topics. Joanna, so great to have you here with us today. Uh, thanks, Leanne. It's such a pleasure. It is a topic that I have never really researched, uh, thought about doing, uh, and at the same time was incredibly intrigued by the people who seek out the treatment itself, even to start with just basic, mm-hmm. I'm going like basic hypnotherapy. Mm-hmm. People are constantly searching for answers yeah. or help. Do you find that? I think the people that come to see me have already been down so many paths. They've seen naturopath. They've seen gone to sleep, sleep clinics, different physicians. And now they've come to this place where maybe it's more than that. And they're diving into that mind-body connection and trying to explore what they can do. Just listening to your voice. It's like you're automatically in this like soothing <laughs> setting. I don't, I, I hope other people will notice that. I have a feeling your voice is going to be incredibly soothing through all of this. Can I go back a little bit? So we have an understanding of how you came to be in this line of work, because oh, yeah. the interest is always, how do you end up in this place in the first place? Always into the mind body connection or medicine. What was your my starting place was massage therapy. And any massage therapist that might be listening know they're part talk therapist too. You know, you get those clients on the table and I started to piece together, huh, maybe this thing in your neck is less about a musculoskeletal situation and it's more about that marriage issue you keep talking about or that low back thing is more about the job you want to leave but somehow can't muster up the courage to do it. And so that's where my natural interest in the mind-body connection started and then I started started studying clinical hypnotherapy and from there was invited into an integrative um, basically bunch of physicians working together to try to connect the larger picture with their clients. And so I was invited into all of these fascinating cases and really thought, hmm, there's some more tools that I need than what I've gathered along the way. And that's when I found some of my most influential teachers in what we'll talk about today mm-hmm. that includes neuroscience and epigenetics and all that good stuff. 
Okay. That I think is, is going to be the advanced topics because <laughs> when I even researched hypnotherapy, I started to see that there were a number of variations, a number of teachers, techniques, uh, thought process behind them. So how does one differentiate even when you were studying how you wanted to enter into this field and what was going to be the best practice. I love that you've brought that up because there are so many, let's call them weekend courses where you make these light suggestions and expect you can transform someone's life. And as we know, uh, the root cause of anyone who's struggled with something is so much deeper than that. And so I sought out different teachers. I studied in Vancouver and Toronto with some of the more highly regarded schools and to really start looking at what our mind tells us is what the body responds to. And started looking at so many interesting studies around unresolved emotions influence the body even more than some, some of the things we would think are top of mind, healthy eating, exercise. But if we're doing all the right things, but we're still not dealing with the unprocessed emotions, we're still kind of stuck in the muck. And so I was really drawn more to that full picture thinking. Let's not just make a suggestion, you know, talk to the relaxed mind to bring the body along. Okay. And when you talk about that power of suggestion, mm -hmm. which line of hypnotherapy are we talking about? What would people be looking for, for that, that end result of suggestion into something otherwise? Right? Like, cause I'm, I'm thinking stop smoking addiction. You know, there are a number of layers to that one. That's it. And so anybody worth their weight in gold in the hypnotherapy world has studied Milton Erickson. So he's sort of the grandfather of hypnotherapy. He really brought it into the clinical settings. And this man, my goodness, what a genius was doing all kinds of things through the power of story and suggestion. And so, so much of the roots of my study there have to do with what he brought forward. Dr. Milton Erickson, quite a contributor. Okay. When you say what he brought forward, what did he open up? Like, I think what he, area of thinking? Yeah, I think it was the mind-body connection. It was this idea that if we can relax the executive function, that thinking mind that's always all over the place, if we can calm ourselves and really get into the theta state, which is what we all relax into before we fall asleep at night. It's very natural, but he had a way of just inducing that through the sound of his voice, very calming, and then begin to let story in so that the mind could just relax and let go. And before you know it, the immune system is functioning better. We're seeing long-standing patterns just fall away. And he began to connect larger things about what smoking might really be about, what it is replacing. You know, it's not just uh, uh, getting rid of stress, but there's something missing in someone's life. And so this, to me, was the next step along the path of having it be relational. So I might be skipping ahead a little bit, Leanne, but anytime I work with addictions, it's actually not about addictions. It's an attachment piece. And so what didn't this person receive as a young child? Where were mom and dad's attention? And so now we breathe that in, in any form of an addiction pattern, be it smoking, shopping, gambling, drugs, alcohol. But the root cause is really this deeper connection piece. Okay. I think you are going to reach, and I think even the listeners today, there are going to be some who are going to still want the quick fix. I want to come into your office. Yeah. I want you to put me under, uh, if, if I, I can say yeah, it that yeah. way, right? Uh, and I want to feel better and, and not want to pick up a cigarette. And then there are going to be others listening that are going to say, okay, let's dive deeper into what you're actually talking about. And that's going to likely take a lot more effort 
energy and not the quick fix, uh, you know, weekend yeah. go in to stop smoking. Course. Totally. So what I've learned about quick fixes is you may stop smoking momentarily. It's going to pop somewhere else. So that pattern of needing to feel better fast, you're going to pick up something else to cover it over, or you'll stop smoking for three to six months. And then something really big happens in your life and you go reeling back to it. And so, yeah, you're right. The people that would be open to working with me, they are looking to open the deeper door. They want to know, geez, like what is this connected to and how can I get rid of this for good? Right off the bat, my first thought though, is in all of this, can I be hypnotized? And then you have just even the basic question, what constitutes someone who can be hypnotized or who fights it? Because sometimes you have people say, oh, it doesn't work for me. I can't be hypnotized. Yeah. I think that's one of the primary reasons. It's only one of the tools in my toolbox because there are the highly analytical or critical thinkers that think, hmm, I'm not so sure I trust this. And I don't know. Um, Whenever we're in a hypnotherapy type of a situation, we are always in control. Otherwise, I'd be hypnotizing people into robbing banks for me and dropping it <laughs> off at the front porch, you know? We always have our own will. Um, but I think where it can fall short is where we're not connecting the, the relational patterns, the deeper childhood pieces, and then, of course, how it brings in the whole family system, which is much more, I guess, what I'm interested in, looking at things in the full picture versus why client A can't, can't quit smoking. You know, it, it connects to something much larger. So let I want to go through, then, the stages and how we do the work. Mm -hmm. So a patient or what did you say? Patient, client, yeah, client. Okay. a client yeah. comes in and are they, are we sitting? Are we lying down? Is there like a, okay. I no. like, I so picture like this string with, you know, this watch at the, yeah, at the no. other end. I mean, it's, it's how I, it's what the movies have done it's what the to movies, it. Right. And you kind of, your eyes are going back and forth and back <laughs> and forth where you have the circles. You're right. How does it work? Like how how does one get into the mindset to start the process? Yeah. And so we're sitting. I have a recliner chair so they can kick back if they so choose. We want to get into a relaxed state. And so a lot of it is really closing your eyes, beginning to deep breathe. And then I guide you into an inner image. You see what I think a lot of people don't realize is that all of our lives are run on our inner image. So if we hold the inner image that, you know, life is good, I expect good things to happen, things usually, you know, roll out that way. But people that come into my office, that's usually not their inner image. So if we go back and relate it to the family, their inner image might be, you know, no matter what I could do, it was never good enough for my mom or... Okay, I get that, Joanna, but are they doing that as soon as you incline them back into the you chair? Betcha. Seriously? Yep. Like, How? Like well, how, I mean, people have enough tr trouble getting to sleep, you know, to relax themselves enough to, to be able to fall asleep with ease. How are you able to lie them back in a recliner and start the dialogue with your amazing voice, by the way, but <laughs> to, to be able to get into that conversation? Well, or would they feel like they're being hypnotized? Do they feel anything? Really? I'm not, I'm no longer, I mean, being a clinical hypnotherapist was something I did about a decade ago. And so now I'm guiding people into their inner world, into that inner landscape to explore what those inner images are that keep them stuck. 
So if they go back to that reference point of my mom was always critical, they're going to go into their lives filled with critical people. That will probably be their main complaint in their relationship. And so I'm looking for themes that keep repeating. And so it helps people feel a lot more comfortable of, okay, great. She's guiding me right to the source of what I want to release. And so they're quite receptive They're It's really just about relaxing, going inward. And then we begin to sort out what that inner image is and create a healthier one that they can step out into their lives with. This is assuming that the person knows that there has been this history or that they realize that they their childhood had critical thinking or they weren't able to please somebody. But what happens when the, the person doesn't realize or is unaware in their subconscious of what has transpired or what's there? You bring up such a good point. I don't think anybody comes into my office thinking, okay, my marriage issues, they're all about my infancy or mm-hmm. gosh, what my mom went through. That's my role to put that together. And so a big piece of what I rely on is something called the core language approach. And it was designed by a medical hypnotherapist in the U.S. And it's a way of asking questions. It's actually a way of listening to how you even describe what's going on with you leads me to know exactly the route we have to work with which is why I typically see a client about three times till we get to resolution. So we're not talking forever and a day about what's wrong and how do you feel about that. Just in the first 10, 15 minutes of our time together, I know exactly where we need to start to work right at that root cause so that everything else can unfold from there. But people will say if they've spent 10 years in psychoanalysis. I hear that every day. <laughs> I'm sorry. I hear that you, every day. Right. Okay. And that so, we've done more in one session with this approach. Why? How? I'm sorry. That's got to be the the million dollar question. Like how? Because there's still so much of the other science based on, you know, the other treatment. So a lot of it, and I guess I lean back on my hypnotherapy roots is the more we talk about the problem, the more we actually fire off the same stress chemicals, the same biochemicals in the body. So if you were to tell me something that happened to you when you were 10, some big awful thing, the same stress would happen in your body now as if this was something that happened yesterday. And so I'm never story-based in my work. I want to know the facts of the family so that I can begin to piece together where we need to work. So that's one main difference between talk therapy and this approach. The other is... This, the approach that I work with now, sits on about 50 years of experiential exploration. And now the science of epigenetics backs up. Maybe it's been uncovered for the last dozen years of what we've now seen in this work for almost 50 years. So it's kind of wild to see what science is now uncovering that, yeah, we're half our mom and we're half our dad. And this is influencing how we show up in relationships, how parts of ourselves we bring to work, how we parent, even how our immune system responds to the stress of our lives. It's all regulated by this deeper peace. And that's what I'm working with. Okay, so you mentioned the word epigenetics again mm. in the answer. So can you define epigenetics so that people will have an idea as we discuss and the dialogue continues what we're talking about? Absolutely. So the environment that we live in, our body, sets off all kinds of signals within the different cells. And so the environment that we grow up in changes how our DNA expresses. 
So another way to say that in a story might be, let's say your grandfather was a prisoner of war. We'll use a gigantic, traumatic example. Now his DNA will be changed due to those experiences. That will now imprint your father and his DNA, how it expresses. We know through this science that it imprints two generations down, which means it would include you. So that might look like you're living in a safe, beautiful, abundant community, but you don't know what to do with the hypervigilance that lives in your body. You are ready, if you will, at the DNA level to deal with war, famine, to run as fast as you can, all of the resources your grandfather would need in such a time. It's as if you're born ready with the same experience, the same way to fight what's going on. And so where this might serve any of us in not such a great way is we're at the airport in a busy setting and we're feeling nervous and sweaty and overwhelmed because we're afraid of people. We go to a fireworks, it's supposed to be celebratory, and we're feeling with every sound we're about to jump out of our skin. And so these are how a lot of the family experiences, not something as traumatic as war, even regular things, pass down through the generations. And this is what we're beginning to understand the role of epigenetics and how we understand immune response and how we, how we live our lives day to day. Oh my God. Right now, my checklist of my grandparents is like checking down. Like, you know, I, I think I, I'm sure a lot of people and just listening to the answer, we're kind of going back the yeah. generation and the generation. It's almost before. like you can't help to bring out that checklist, you know, and think, oh, did this affect me? How was that? And I better ask grandma about well, this. I think because we talk about unexplained, you, you know, unexplained things that you're feeling and you don't know why. Yes, exactly. And I think that like someone, I don't know why I feel this way or I don't know why I'm dealing it with it like this. Yeah. It's sometimes it's more the unknown that's more frustrating. You can understand when you're stressed because you're there's something that's happening that's bringing in a stressful situation. But when you really have no explanation for feeling the way you do or an anxiety that, that springs on, yeah. that you don't know where it comes from. Well, and I guess that's a big piece of this work to find out who does this belong to? Where does this symptom, where does this stress response actually make sense in the family system? So whenever I work with a client, let's say you're my client and I'm not going to just focus on you, Leanne's experience, I want to picture you as one square of a quilt. And then my image goes to your mom and dad, they have their own square, your grandparents, they have four squares above, and I look at you in the full entirety of the family experience, then all kinds of solutions become very apparent to whatever it is you might be coming to the session about. Do people typically know what they're coming to the session about? Oh, yeah. It's usually, you know, I'm, I'm about to divorce my husband or I just I'm not in love anymore. I don't know why. I'm worried about my teenage child. You know, the, the life challenges we all go through. So where is the fix me? <laughs> like I'm going to do the quotation, the right. fix me point in there. Where does that come through? What is the work that's being done through the sessions that is it? changing. I know we're talking about, you know, the brain and, and the ability to, it's very plastic, like it's yes, very movable, right? It so is. Is that where the focus is 
where's the work then once you realize that there's an issue so or you, on, or you found the point the, you know, yeah. the point of concern. So it's almost done in three pieces if we were to take down a first session. So the first part is for me, the first third is to understand your map of the world, to try to make the connections that maybe haven't been made because it's your life. It's too close for you to see it. The second is we begin to make the connections. So let's say it is a, a marriage issue. Let's say it is a relationship piece. That's something I deal with pretty often. And so 70%, I kind of think it's way more than that, the longer I'm in this work, of what goes on in a relationship has to do with each other's family of origin. So I might have a couple come in and they want to tell me he did this and she did that. They want to bring out all their complaints. And the first thing I want to know is each other's family history as to why him withdrawing or her inundating and overwhelming actually fits like the perfect puzzle piece of what they modeled, what is imprinted in their love imprint when they come into that relationship. And then the third piece beyond awareness, because it's one thing to know why we do what we do, it's another to show up differently, is to begin to say the things that are often held in our body that we could never imagine physically saying to our mom or dad or sibling, and to be able to have that move through the body so that we're no longer carrying it inside as a reference point. So there's an awareness that we're no longer projecting onto our husband. You need to fill the holes my mom never could. And we actually make it what it's really about. It becomes now a mother-daughter issue that needs re resolution versus it living out on nauseam inside the marriage. What if one person's doing it and not the other? Oh, good question. <laughs> there was just a study out okay. of Brazil. There was mm -hmm. this judge who loved this work and thought he'd take a course just for his own mm -hmm. you know, interest. Yeah. And who knew, but in Brazil, there's a two or three year waiting list to move through the proceedings of getting a divorce. So he thought, well, why don't I just try this out with some of my clients? And so the couples that would both come forward and do this work together, they had a hundred percent resolution. They no longer needed to fight it out in the courts. They could just come to an understanding. Now to your question, what if only one half will do it? There was still a 91% resolution when this work is applied. And when you talk about resolution, is that saying that they stayed together and were happy? No, no, no. no. But that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't war, of the, war of the roses. Exactly. Okay. We don't even need to go through the, the court system. We can divvy things up fairly. We can, okay. we can part lovingly. Was there any statistic in there that they withdrew the divorce proceedings and through this type of treatment, we're able to reconcile the relationship. This podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They are a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally, as I've been using the Extension Marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me, a genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com. I didn't read that in the study. You know, sometimes mm. that happens. And to be honest, sometimes the best thing is we've gone as far as we can and the healthiest thing to do is separate. Yeah. So it's not always that you want to, it's not always fixing what you think is the issue. Agreed. Sometimes. I don't feel divorce is a failure. You know, we learn and we can take it forward. The only, if we quote unquote failure is if we do that in the next relationship. 
And I can tell you, I've seen many clients who they're on their third relationship and it's like, damn, who's the common denominator? Oh, I guess it's time to look at who I am and what painful patterns I'm bringing into the relationship. So fascinating. Mm-hmm. When you're studying, mm-hmm. how much has to go from the brain? You know, like I've had a lot of naturopaths and doctors and neuroscience, neuronutrition kind of here in, in this chair and, yeah. and talking. Is it visualization of reconfiguring our mm. thought and our brain waves? You know, that this isn't, this takes work, right? It's not like you, it's not like you flip on a switch in the brain and right. you're, and you're fixing it. You're right. I think it's such an important question because very early in my training, I was all mind. It was all the science. It was all the gathering it up. And I wasn't seeing the changes in my personal life. It wasn't until I included the body. And this was a whole other area of study for me called integrative body psychotherapy, which brings in how do I let the new image, my new understanding, my new awareness come from the head and include the heart and include how I'm going to show up in my relationship differently so that there's, you know, more capacity for compassion. But you, you were studying psychotherapy or you were, so how do we differentiate then the Mm. psychotherapy from what you're doing? Well, there are many crossovers, to be honest with you. Um, is one covered by OHIP? <laughs> I mean, are we, does it go that far? I, you know, one is recognized by a medical, you know, practice. Yeah. Like, how, what's, what's the difference? Or how do they overlap then? Well, and even if we look at social work, um, psychiatry, psychotherapy, they all have a little bit of a different flavor. And I think for those of you that are listening, that are seeking that right fit, we really have to try it out, you know, sit with that person. I I always often offer an introductory call. Are we a fit? Is this what you're looking for? Because it is true. We do have to go to those root causes. If if that's something you're wanting the quick fix Mm -hmm. with, I'm not your person. Um, there, there are different regulatory boards. It's, it's a vast and wide question. And I don't know enough about each discipline Mm -hmm. to speak to it. Um, I know I do have coverage for those who have naturopathic uh, benefits within Canada. I'm able to offer that. Um, Just because I've had so many hours of training, they sort of tucked me in under that umbrella, which was helpful for my clients to get some coverage. Okay. So I want to go back to people who don't quite know Mm -hmm. what's there. Yeah. Is it harder? Is it harder for you? No. Is it e- or is it easier when you wa- when a client walks in and I-, I could sit here right now and be like, I've got Holocaust surviving grandparents who yeah. escaped the Hungarian Revolution, yeah. you know, and landed in Canada as immigrants with five dollars in their pocket. Yeah. I'm like, have you have a field day with me? Yes, this <laughs> go, is so you know, good. like you know, or yeah. have a field day with my mom because she yeah. actually lived through the the, the trauma. So, and but I can honestly your... say that I can just listening to you go, yeah. I can feel the imprint. Yeah, I definitely can feel the imprint. Yeah, because as though it's in your mom, who where did your body grow? Mm. So it's absolutely a part of your imprint. And so the not so, not so sure about trusting love, not so sure about trusting life is going to be safe and really be that got your back kind of a feeling. And so a lot of this relates to where your mom would have been able to go with you emotionally, relationally, and where she couldn't. 
And so a lot of our own work as the daughter of a situation like this is to really begin to build our capacity to look behind what went on from our mom. So this feeling of, wow, as a five-year-old, of course, I took it personally that, you know, she wasn't as, I don't, I don't know your mom. No, no, you know. absolutely. But I actually think therapy helped with that understanding of understanding the trauma that would have been faced. And I'm so sorry, mom. Yes, <laughs> She's listening going, exactly. huh, when did all of this come out? No, but you know, there is that. But I, yeah, like there's a part that, that I wonder. And now I look at, ahead because you'll have clients in, in your sessions, and then you'll know that they've got a younger generation, that That's they have it. offspring, right? So are you, are you able to then to start to say, this will transpire then with your children if you don't yes, deal that's with it in some, this will continue to pass on. It's the truth of it. What we're not able to look at, what feels too big or too scary, it, 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 that's our kids now. That will be the, what they pick up. And the work that we do, sometimes it might seem deep and heavy. There's a part of us that goes, ah, and it ends with me. When I resolve this, this is something I'm no longer passing along to my kids. Okay. Can it be simplified at all? Can it be simplified at all that a parent is looking at their um, like 18-year-old son who cannot get off of video games? So when I've got a situation like that, my first question exist? like, are, yeah, because I'm thinking, Hey, we're going really deep, but can I simplify it? Or yeah. I can't get my 15 year old daughter off of her phone because yeah. she, she, she won't put her phone down. That's it. And so my first question about the teen with the video game is where's dad? So usually if we've got a boy who just sits in front of the video games and numbs out, there's missing interaction with dad. And we need, that's the piece we need to look at. And a lot of the times, you know, I'll get the mom, you know, crossing her arms and not happy with that answer because he's been out of the picture since the little boy's been five or 10. And the work is now mom softening the way she holds the father of her children so that the child has the capacity to make his way back. I'm sorry, but that 18 year old boy playing video games is going, I'm not buying this shit. The 18 year old's <laughs> not I, who I'm working can I, with. Can I, can I'm I working say? with the mom. So I don't work with kids. Okay. Because then I send them back into an environment where we're not all on the same page. Okay. But you're, okay. So let's say you've got mom. Yeah. Who's got an 18 year old son or, or 15. Like, you know, yeah, I of don't want Who knows when it begins. Yeah. Right. Who's, yeah, addicted. I would think, because there's an, that addictive pattern. Am I allowed to say that? For sure. It um, raises the dopamine in the brain. For sure, it's an addiction. So it's now falling on mom's response. Mom's, how she's going to handle it, how she's, ex explain it to me a little bit more. So because I want to be able to have people relate to certain situations yeah. in their life. So it's almost like a choose your own adventure in this way. Okay. In that. First, so problem comes forward. And my question then is, is dad in the picture? And nine times out of 10, it's no, he isn't. And so then this is where we need to look. And so maybe the case is, yeah, dad's in the picture. He wants to go out and play soccer, right. but he's into the video game. And so then it can be a different conversation. We know kids today are dealing with something completely different than even we were. The Fortnite, the, the Minecraft mm. for the younger kids. It's really a part of, and even we as adults, let's look at our own time on social media and the fact that we're looking at our phones instead of connecting with our children. So technology is a huge disconnect and 
We talked about addiction a little earlier. This is now a technology addiction that keeps us from the most important attachments, the attachments to that solid connection we might have over the dinner table or um, wherever we could instead of looking at our phone or the screen. Hmm. And so it's about finding where can love flow again in the family. Okay. And, and just because I asked this, and maybe because I'm just more aware, but like you mentioned, where's dad, right? Yeah. But what if you have two very loving um, mothers, like two uh, partners, yeah. two, two, you know, lesbian partners yeah. raising in, in a very loving environment. Yes. And yet they still have a 15-year-old boy who is, you know, addicted to the video. Because you can't ask that question, where's dad? Yes, true. Right? And so then I'm looking at masculine and feminine polarities. So in any same-sex couple, and I've had mm -hmm. many in my practice, there's a masculine and feminine polarity. And we need to look at that dynamic and how it fits in the family. And the other element is children do still come from an egg and a sperm. And so the missing father figure, the biological father, is a piece that we need to look at, even the ways fa families have evolved. Okay, I'm going to keep adding the layers if that's okay. All right, sure. Adoptive. Adopted yes. children. I've worked with many. Gosh, adopted. I feel for them because at this point they're they're sitting here kind of with, as you mentioned, their own piece of the quilt with the rest of the quilt missing. Yes. How how do you then do this work? Yeah. Then. So the first piece with adoptive uh, people is they're going to have their own issues in life. And so whatever those issues are, allow me to ask different questions, almost like we're going to reverse engineer the family history. And sometimes for adoptive people, the most painful piece is like, I don't know. I don't know anything about my mom. And so I begin to ask them questions about themselves. Where's their own self-confidence? Where's their own... Um, ability to go for things they really want in life. And that's going to give me some indications because we're half our mom, half our mom and half our dad. So we can splice that apart a bit. Okay. But we are in terms of the genetics and are we just talking the genetics because exactly. that adoptive child could have been adopted by a very loving mother, father who would have had, I would think their also own imprints. Or is this fully that we're talking about genetic makeup? This work is genetic makeup. So this idea that what's unresolved in one generation will be passed on to the next. And so this is biological parents when I work with adoptive kids. So the very important part to bring forward in this... any client... Yes. It's the genetic component. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the piece with adoptive um, clients is this work, we, in this work, we term it the break in the bond. And for adoptive kids, the, they would have the biggest break in the bond of any of us. And so a break in the bond can happen three different places in utero before we've even taken our first breath. You know, are we a surprise to mom or dad? Did dad get a scary diagnosis partway through the pregnancy? Um, is mom feeling unprepared? All of these things are relayed to baby growing in the womb. There's a symbiotic connection and baby's aware of the environment they'll be coming into. The second way the break in the bond can happen is right at birth, whether there was a medical something and baby had to be taken away. I mean, gosh, in my generation, it was there, there, mom, you had a rough labor, we'll take baby to the nursery. And this changes the way our sort of the synopsis of trust, the where is mom, that feeling in the infant 
And if it's a, a day or a week to, to a little baby, a fresh born baby, that's everything. And so it changes the dynamic of the relationship right out of the gates. And then the third way the break in the bond can happen is in the first sort of five years of life. So I was, uh, because my mom had to go back to work, I was in a sort of big, big uh, daycare at six weeks of six weeks old. You know, my colleagues in the United States are back at work mm-hmm. at six to eight weeks. So optimally, we need to look to Norway, who gives, you know, three years off for new moms. This is optimal for brain development and really making sure the child feels safe and loved and supported. And when this doesn't happen, we compensate. Now, it doesn't mean that this can't be rerouted, that this can't be rebuilt. This is a lot of what I do in my day to day. But this is the roots of why we don't trust love, why we've got relationship stuff going all over I feel the place. horrible, you know, for a mom right now who's getting ready to go back to work. She's been off, you know, for six months to a year and she's getting ready to go back. She's ready to go back. You know, I you don't want the sense to say you shouldn't. Oh, yeah. You should be doing that, right? I mean, I'm a working mom. It's developmental psychologists really support. It's how the separation is reconnected. So this idea that when we drop our kiddos off at daycare, you know, I can't wait to see you and mommy's back at this time. And even if they're small and they can't understand that conversation, there's the hug, there's the eye to eye connection. And then when the child is picked up, there's the same, you know, we, we meet the child, we're eye to eye connection, we're not looking at the phone and talking to them in the background, but there's that real collection of the child is what it's called. And does that go, I mean, I would think that it goes far beyond adult, you know, infancy. I would think it's still the same when you're picking up your kid in grade nine and they get into the car. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And sometimes we need to take our kids in on drives. That's the advice I've been getting because our son's just 10. Get him in the car, drive him somewhere. Then the conversations yeah, can start. always the best uh, yeah. in the car for sure. So I want to go back a yeah. little bit more. Is there uh, someone who's not an ideal client for this? I think those who don't want to look who don't believe anything's connected to their family history, who uh, it's almost like they're sitting on top of the Pandora's box and don't dare open the lid. And so that's a challenge. Okay. I get that. So how people can fight opening the Pandora's box their whole life. Yep. They won't be any better for it. Well, they'll keep marrying the, the, the parent they reject, you know, the versions of that. They'll have the same situation, likely, again, nine times out of ten. What they feel about their own parents, they'll live out with their children. There was a super interesting study, Leanne, for those who don't really want to look. It came out of uh, John Hopkins University, and they were so surprised by the results that they did it again at Harvard. And so it was a very, anyone can look it up on PubMed, it's called the Mastery of Stress Study. And they were curious, is there any correlation between how people feel like their well-being and their relationship with their family. And so it was a simple uh, four choice question, multiple choice question. Describe how you feel about your mom. You could choose warm, close, tolerated, or strained. Same, same question with dad. They took thousands of patients and 35 years later looked them back up. And those who answered tolerated or strained with mom, 91% of them had a serious health condition. Those who answered tolerated or strained with dad was like an 82%, maybe it was 86. 
Um, those who answered tolerated or strained with both mom and dad, 100% had a serious health condition 35 years later. So there's this concept for me that if we close the door, if we keep at an arm's length, if we write out reject, the very place where we got our life from, of course we're going to have some issues with this body we have that's been given through that line. Was there anything positive for those that had love and yes. support in so, that same yes, study? The warm okay, and close. Tell, tell me, tell me more of the study. Yes. yes. So the warm and close with mom had a forty-five percent uh, incidence of of well, you know, not doing well with their health, and with dad, I think it was a little bit lower, forty-two percent, something like that. So yeah, it was we're drastically different. About you're increasing your rate, your risk by about half by not resolving, you know, how you truly feel inside. When mom calls and you look up at your phone and go, what does she want? You know, our cells are listening. And a lot of the time people will say to me, but you don't know, you know, he's like, you don't know my mom. I hear that almost every day. (laughs) (laughs) But you don't know. That's it. You don't know what she asks of me. You don't know how much she inundates me. And so that's really a boundary conversation. So those of us who have a mom who's super needy and depends on us for maybe as a friend or to solve some problems, often that means she doesn't have her mom or dad as a support behind her. And so lean into the children or lean into her spouse. And that's for us, the one that's in therapy, the one that's doing our work to to have a boundary so that we don't have to dissolve the relationship. Because we don't trust ourselves enough when we're with her. I mean, not to lose ourselves, And then we spend the whole drive home thinking, oh, I fell back into that pattern and I just, I just can't see her. Instead of I held my ground, I'm able to say no, even if I disappoint her. What would be the difference then? Because I'm trying to make the comparison of how we would feel after a session. Mm. So you go through the session of the person, as I'm thinking, with the string going back and forth with the watch at the bottom. Yeah, that doesn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) But help me out here. Uh, With that person that came in who wants to quit smoking. Okay. Okay. And so they leave a session. How How do they feel their body and mind after that session? Then how do your patients feel after the dialogue you've had? Are they going to feel completely different? So some people feel like lighter, almost this elated feeling of, oh, like I've been carrying things that I didn't even realize aren't mine. It's almost a separation out where other people feel totally exhausted. And, you know, I can't go back to work later today. I need to go home and have a nap, you know? And so different people, depending on where they're at, their willingness to really look at all the pieces, all of that determines often how they feel on the other side of it. How early would you suggest someone coming in to start this process so that they've got a better life ahead, right? You hope at this stage that you have someone in their fifties who is kind of struggling with their marriage or something that they could go in. But you also have someone in their twenties who are just starting to realize the type of person they are in relationships or are heading into a marriage. Where's how different would the work be, or if you get to it earlier, how much more joy or ease would you have? Such a great question. And I I think it's human nature for all of us that we only really look at something when it's become too much of a problem to ignore anymore. Mm 
So I usually get the call when either they've seen every other specialist they can, they can try, mm-hmm. or it's just, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to pull my hair out. So I got to look at this. Rarely do I get somebody that's wanting to be preventative. That's wanting to look ahead that says, geez, you know, I saw my mom and dad really struggle in their marriage. I sure don't want that in mine. Often, you know, it's after the first big fight or after they're fighting too much in front of the kids or, you know, there's so much going on in our lives that I think only till it gets to a breaking point Mm -hmm. are we really going, okay, I got to look at this. So we can see a breaking point when it comes to our personal relationships and how we are with people. But we had mentioned at the top chronic illness, Mm -hmm. um, anxiety Uh, fatigue. So where can this come into play and what would the changes in the shift be in that person? And is there science behind anything that has shown that there's been a decrease in illness or that they've, they've fought a certain disease better because of this? Hmm. So I have colleagues who specialize only in health with, through this model. It's, it's brilliant. And so So I guess they're not looking at marriage. They're they're not looking at personal relationships. They're looking at a person's actual health. That's it. Okay. And so from this body of work, we tend to see um, symptoms as the way the body's talking to you. And our role is to decode that. So someone that comes with, let's say, chronic fatigue, I'm going to see that almost like a neon light, you know, a neon arrow, like look here, depending on what else they tell me about what's going on in their lives. So there's this amazing book written by Dr. Gabor Mate called When the Body Says No. And I often share that with clients that are struggling with different illness, you know, symptoms that when we're not able to say no to a friend or no to our mom who needs too much or wherever we might need to say that, our body starts to say it for us. So a lot of the times when I'm working with symptom or illness, it goes right back to a boundary issue. It goes right back to where are they not able to say, you know what, I can't listen to you just complain about your husband 20 years later and the conversation just stays the same, nothing changes. We don't have the courage to maybe disappoint a friend or say no when someone needs us because we're so used to noticing what everybody else needs out there before we notice what we're able to give inside. So again, it's much more of a systemic look. It's not really, you know, what's going on with the cancer expression. It's what's going on with lifestyle choices and the relationships that might be pulling you under. So a decrease in inflammation or... (laughs) fatigue or IBS. I mean, Mm. these are all, I would think, I mean, so many people are dealing with gut health and totally, um, and unexplained. It's the unexplained illnesses, right? There's something, but they can't figure it out. And so for me, I start to ask questions. What can you no longer stomach? What can you no longer take? What can't I digest in this conversation? And so I begin to look at it as a metaphor the body's speaking to you and how do we decode what its message is? And we have to include the whole person, the whole experience. You know, once Leanne, I had a client come in and like totally unexplained, she'd seen everyone. And I started to ask a little bit about her family. Her mom had been ill since she was a little child, sort of bedridden, couldn't do anything for herself. Her dad, most of his life was about medical appointments and waiting for test results. He had a very serious situation. It was either MS or Parkinson's. 
all of her siblings had something going on where they would gather around the family table and the conversation would be about the next doctor's appointment or the test results so-and-so was waiting for. And so it began to come together as that was her way unconsciously of belonging to the family. Who was she to have full health when everybody around her was all about being ill and how to recover? And so when I started to talk this way, the tears just started streaming down. She had never considered it this way because for her, she had the lightest expression in her family of these symptoms. It was more mysterious, the chronic fatigue, the fibro, the aches, the pains. And so it was amazing how her body was able to respond differently to the remedies and the exercise and all of the things the other specialists were supporting her with when she was able to understand, you know what, I belong to my family because I'm their daughter, because I'm their sister. I don't have to belong with an illness. Weight gain, mm. weight loss. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm going back like 30 years to when I knew people were, I'm going to go get hypnotized. Yeah. I'm going to lose all this weight. So now it's it's back to... And do you get people and and looking? Very rarely um, because they know I'm not a quick fix kind of girl. And whenever I work with food issues, when that comes up, it's often a nurturance and care issue. So um, it often goes, our relationship with food, our relationship with our body is synonymous with our relationship with our mom. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. This is, I feel like we're living a Hollywood movie when everyone's lines and going back to <laughs> what was your relationship with your mom? What was your relationship with your dad? Yeah. But it's a side. It's not just the wishy-washy. It's, there's a side, there's a true science behind why this is occurring. That's it. And I think it really helps me as a guideline to be able to take whatever that situation is, however intense, however problematic, and walk people through something that's understood. Okay. It could be understood, but it's a blame game then. No, we're not ever looking to blame mom. We're trying to understand. I know, but at this point, some some people might look at it like the blame game. Well, I'm like this because of you. Like, you know, when you get into some of these arguments, it's like, you know, it's like, that could be like the final dig. Well, don't blame me. But if it stops there, nobody wins. Not to mention whoever the daughter or sons are that come after. And so let's say we're working with a food issue and, geez, I've got disordered eating because um, my mom had to go back to work when I was six weeks old or whatever, right? And so we want to look at what was going on where mom couldn't be there to recollect even after daycare, that she's overworked, she's overwhelmed. Uh, We don't even know the distress that might be going on inside their marriage at that time. And so we take an adult understanding to begin to look at what the deficit was, what was missing. So we can step out maybe for the first time in our lives of taking it personally. And when I work with women in this situation, a lot of it is what can I do for myself? How can I become that gentle mother for myself so that the next time I book a massage or take an afternoon out to be out in nature, whatever it is that really feeds you, that place that you can nurture yourself with the comment of, mom, I do this in honor of you. There's a growing part of me that trusts you would have given more to me if more had been given to you. 
if you would have had more time when I was younger, if uh, dad hadn't have been struggling with alcoholism or whatever, um, so that when I go and have this massage, I'm going to feel nurtured and loved. And I really soak that in with that peace that you would have given this to me if you could have. So we take the hook off the blame. No one gets anywhere with the blame game going. And we don't wait for mom to suddenly be more loving, more present. Maybe this is still going on today. Okay. We always think that somebody can change. Yeah. Right? Like we're always trying to change or you think that they'll change. You know, people are in bad relationships. Well, he promised that he would change or that. How does that Is that wishful thinking? For sure. We keep ourselves stuck by hoping another person will do something. I think a lot of the times if we can be in full personal responsibility, which is who am I to be in this relationship that allows this to go on, that allows us to be okay? Where's my line in the sand? And so instead of he'll change or that maybe magically this will happen, there's that point of view that looks at What's my part in this? Where's my line in the sand? Where do I make the change? And if we take it all as a personal responsibility inventory, this is where the rubber meets the road and your life can be transformed. We talk about transformation. We talk about transformation a lot here and, and understanding that it, that it takes time, that everything, it's like a trickle down has to, has to heal. So you were saying that you could go in for three sessions and it would take at least three sessions yep. of you doing it for you to be able to find resolution. Mm-hmm. So how long would a process like this take, right? You, some people like guy, you know, sometimes they like, okay, if I invest this time by, uh-huh. by this time, things could be different or yeah. what, how would someone foresee starting a process like this? So each session is 90 minutes. So there is sort of that space and time for that deep dive to have emotions come up, have connections be made and to do the experience. I think that's the difference. It's an experiential process where body, mind, heart, soul is all involved. And I, if I can, it depends on the person, of course, but I like to space things about a month apart. So there's time for you to go back into your life with these new insights, with these new understandings. You know, how does that next conversation with your mom go? Or when that challenge comes up with your husband, how, how do you face it differently? So that we've got some more things to gather into the next session. And then we begin to really tweak what the root issue is about. So, you know, the first session might focus more on the body's memory of early life. The second might be about the really awful thing that happened to grandma on your dad's side and having to resolve how you carry that. Uh, It really depends on the case and, and what's in front of me that would determine how we would spend those three sessions. And it's certainly not some grand promise that, Hey, three sessions and everything's going to be perfect. People have been in psycho psycho (laughs) in the therapist office for 10 years. So at this point, three or four sessions is, you know, is, is coming about it a little bit differently. There are people who deal with mental health issues. So are you playing a dangerous, like, I, I don't know if it's fair to ask, but like, is there like a dangerous line that you cannot cross? Like people who are dealing with suicidal thoughts, yeah. um, massive depression or schizophrenia. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. I, I, I know I'm thinking, but I'm kind no. of trying to be like, you know, that's a lot for the brain to take in when it's already battling enough. 
And so I've worked with all examples of those cases very tenderly, very carefully. And I do have a team that I refer out to when I feel it's either the person may not have the readiness. There does need to be the readiness for anybody Mm -hmm. to step in. Um, And respecting where people are at is a big part of not pushing someone too far, Um, not asking questions that's going to send them reeling, certainly not re-traumatizing. And so this is why sticking with the facts of the family, building with that can give a really solid structure to say within what's safe for any given client, regardless of where they may be at, at the level of their mental health. Okay. And a lot of what people struggle with from bipolar to schizophrenia has their roots in their family history. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Right? Yeah. But so we think about, we go as far back as war, we go as far back as the age old victim perpetrator conversation. And a lot of times we can see this play out again in the next generation. So for me, it's not about the diagnosis per se. It's about how does schizophrenia look for you, client, or how does bipolar show up for you, client? Not getting scared by the diagnosis, but looking at the patterns of suffering that this client is is faced with and where it fits. My, My role is to, where does that belong in the family system? How do we make sense of it so we can actually neutralize it and give this client their life back? Are you inspired by the work that you do? Like, are there times when... You know, a client will leave the office and it for the last time, right? Mm. And they came in as one individual and have embarked on something completely different. You know, it's so inspiring. It doesn't even feel like the word. It's just, it's beautiful. And uh, my dad, he's he's a withdrawn kind of guy, and he'll say, "Wow, Joanna, you know, I was reading your your website. It sounds like you're doing really good work." You know, is the first that, you know consideration for him. Wow, and I thought, yeah, I guess I guess that's true. And for me, it's less about my inspiration and more about this feeling of, you know, yes, you get to go back out in life, client, and not repeat these awful, painful patterns. There's some lights that have been turned on and now things get to be different and with fingers crossed for your children as well. And so I do my best to keep it more about the client and where they're going to go and how their life's going to be so much lighter. Or that the generations, there'll be a a stop to the impact for the next generation. Yeah. They can take more of the good, leave, Mm -hmm. leave the distorted behind. Where can people find you? Where would they go for more information? I think for some, you know, if they've lasted this long, they're (laughs) completely fascinated and going, okay, this, this, this could be applied to my life. Yeah. How do they do it? Well, they can find me on my site, www.joannalynn.ca. Uh, and that's my name. You can find me on all the social media. There's an H in Joanna, by the way, yes. so people don't get confused. That's yeah. it. J-O-H-A-N-N-A-L-Y-N-N.ca. And on, I guess it would be more Facebook and maybe Pinterest. I love to share little articles and some of the latest in neuroscience and epigenetics. So if this has sparked your interest and you're wanting to learn more, that's really where I share most of it. On Facebook. Yeah. Well, it's good, I think, because, you know, I don't think they were, you started to press play and listening going, okay, this is going to be, this is like immediate. It's, it's, it's insightful. It's, I want more information. Mm -hmm. Let's look a little deeper into this. Absolutely. Do you even miss the clinical hypnosis? Not at all. Not at all. It's almost as if you find a tool that just hits things out of the park. And so you drop all the other tools, Mm -hmm. you know, it'll come in handy when I've got a super analytical person and we've got to kind of quiet the thinking mind. 
might bring it out then and there, but yeah, this is really the the path for me. When you hit it out the ball, you have the perfect bat. Yeah. So you keep hitting out of the ballpark. That's you didn't it. need the other ones. That's it. It was an absolute pleasure to learn so much about this field and, and to have an understanding. I think for sure a lot of people are going to be thinking the checklists are definitely, you know, going through their mind right now and, and following that, that family tree, that family history. Yeah. yeah it's fascinating. Thank you so much. Uh, and as we mentioned, uh, joannalynn.com. That's right. Uh, .ca, actually. .ca. Uh, but definitely on the Facebook page, you'll find a ton of information. I do want to say thank you so much to all of you listening uh, to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. And please continue to like, share, subscribe, comment on the podcast. Always looking for interesting guests if you have suggestions. Uh, and it's always great to be able to have these discussions. I've learned so much. This has been fantastic for me. Have a great day, everyone. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.